Coming up on Harvard Chan This Week in Health, a major Supreme Court ruling on abortion and the impact it'll have. Plus, bugs on the subway, how tracking the microbes we leave behind could improve public health. And giving that 4th of July cookout a makeover, we'll share some simple and healthy swaps that you can make. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. It's Friday, July 1st. I'm Amy Montemiro. And I'm Noah Levitt. We begin this week with a major Supreme Court ruling striking down a law in Texas that would likely have forced dozens of abortion clinics across the state to close. In a 5-3 to three decision, the high court ruled that the law placing strict requirements on abortion providers would place an undue burden on women seeking abortions. One part of the law requires all clinics to meet the standards for ambulatory surgical centers. Another requires doctors performing abortions to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. Critics say these requirements could have cut the number of clinics in Texas from 41 to 10. We spoke about the ruling and its potential impact with Kelsey Holt, a senior project manager in the Women in Health Initiative at the Harvard Chan School and also a doctoral student in the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences. The Supreme Court's decision in Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstead is a big win for public health research. The court weighed the data on the impact of partial implementation of Texas's previously implemented HB2 law and concluded that there was no evidence whatsoever for supporters' claims that the law would have protected health and safety of women. In fact, they concluded that it would have limited women's ability to get needed health care and therefore that it was unconstitutional. Research showed that clinic closures were increasing wait times and subsequently leading to later gestational age at time of abortion, um, increasing the distance that women had to travel to get an abortion, and even pushing some women to self-induce abortion um, on their own when they weren't able to get care in a clinic. And so that data that was available from um, this preliminary research from the couple of years that the law was partially implemented really was the data that the Supreme Court was able to use in, in judging whether or not the full law implementation would be an undue burden on women's ability to access abortion. In my reading more about the decision, I found really refreshing the court's comparisons of abortion with other medical procedures of similar or higher risk, in which they highlighted that the state of Texas does not have the same requirements for procedures like colonoscopies or even childbirth, which are actually riskier than abortion. And this kind of rational, evidence-based comparison of abortion with other healthcare services really differs from uh, the anti-choice messaging that you hear a lot around abortion and abortion providers as somehow more inherently dangerous um, and presents a less stigmatized view of abortion as one of a number of healthcare services that women need or, and are in fact entitled to throughout their lives. And we're already seeing the impact of this Supreme Court ruling. On Tuesday, the court rejected efforts by Mississippi and Wisconsin to reinstate laws similar to the one in Texas. Holt says laws around abortion generally fall into two categories. One is called TRAP, or Targeted Regulation of Abortion Providers, like the law in Texas. Other laws aim to directly restrict the conditions under which a woman can have an abortion, provisions such as requiring parental consent or mandatory waiting periods. But Holt says that these are just some of the barriers to abortion access. There's a lot of inter interrelated barriers when you think about the landscape of abortion access in this country. Um, I really think about it in terms of the legal environment, which is what this week's Supreme Court decision has highlighted in terms of making sure that the the frameworks are in place to allow services to 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 be available and accessible. Um, but then I think about a, a kind of a second layer, which is the health system and, and whether or not the services are are there. And part of that is is whether or not there's providers who are trained to um, provide 
procedures and referrals and also um, supported to do that within their systems and, and kind of willing to do that as well, given our culture of, of abortion being stigmatized. Holt and her colleagues are conducting more research on the factors that affect abortion access. That includes looking at the cost of having an abortion. Now to a story about bugs, and we're talking about the trillions of microbes that are transferred between our bodies and the things we touch. And it might make you squeamish, but researchers say there's huge potential public health benefit there. Scientists at the Harvard Chan School collected samples from trains, buses, and touchscreens across the Massachusetts Bay Transit Authority system in and around Boston. It's the first study to look at microbes across multiple surfaces. Researchers found low numbers of dangerous pathogens or genes tied to antibiotic resistance. In fact, most were microbes from our skin or mouths transferred by coughing or sneezing. And the scientists say that monitoring these microbes could be a powerful public health tool. By establishing this baseline, they could then look for deviations as a sort of early warning system for a flu outbreak or a rise in antibiotic resistance. Researchers say the fact that most of the microbes are not harmful raises a series of interesting questions. Tiffany Sue, one of the study's authors, explains why. We don't know what the long-term consequences of that is, because way back in the day, people were outdoors and exposed to all kinds of things. But now, like, we spend a lot of time indoors, and now we're just surrounded by skin microbes that people have been shedding. Who knows if that will have an effect on our health five years, ten years, maybe a lifetime down the line. And if it does, I guess we can start looking at, say, um, should we be making our chairs and desks out of different things that might promote um, different microbes? Or should we be pulling air in from outdoors or have more plants? Like, those are all things to, to look at. One of the other next steps for researchers is determining which microbes are dead or alive and which can be transferred between people. To read more about the findings and to watch a video on the research, head to our website, hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth. On Capitol Hill, the Senate has rejected a bill to fund the fight against the Zika virus. The Republican-negotiated plan would have provided $1.1 billion in funding, but it drew opposition from Democrats because it included spending cuts to the Affordable Care Act and a provision targeting Planned Parenthood funding. President Obama has requested $1.9 billion in funding, and with the mosquito season in full swing, Congress has just a couple of weeks to pass a bill before it leaves for a long recess in the middle of July. A new report this week is outlining the global toll of air pollution. The International Energy Agency estimates that air pollution is linked to 6.5 million deaths per year. And the IEA says that many of the causes of this air pollution and the possible solutions lie with the energy industry. The group's executive director told the New York Times that there needs to be a focus on emerging energy consumers and polluters, countries such as China or India. Among the actions the agency is suggesting, more ambitious clean air standards, more effective monitoring and enforcement related to pollution, retiring coal-fired power plants, and establishing stricter emission standards for cars. Finally in this episode, people across the U.S. will be celebrating the 4th of July on Monday. And when you think of July 4th, you probably think about a cookout with burgers and hot dogs sizzling on the grill. But those obviously aren't the healthiest choices. So we spoke about ideas for some healthy recipes with Teresa Fung, an adjunct professor in the Department of Nutrition at the Harvard Chan School and a professor of nutrition at Simmons College. Fung says that it's easy to think of July 4th as just one day of indulgence, but those days can add up. 
One day is not going to make a break on a person's life and as well as a person's health. However, um, over throughout the course of a year, we do have a good number of days that really gives us a chance to eat. Everything from New Year's, birthdays, July 4th, and Thanksgiving, and then there's some other holidays probably around it which people gather and um, and eat a lot. Just a few days every year might not make a big deal. Um, however, it's still a good opportunity to include some healthier aspects, even though we and still enjoy at the same time. Fong says that concerns about things like burgers and hot dogs generally center on diabetes and colorectal cancer, which can be heightened by cooking these foods over high heat on a grill. In addition to swapping in healthier proteins for things like burgers or hot dogs, Fung says we should prioritize fruits and vegetables first, then focus on the meat. Start thinking about what vegetables can we throw on the grill first, what fruit salad can we make. Think from there first, and you have those in mind, and then think the protein. And then during while you're eating, while you're cooking and eating, serve yourself the fruits and vegetables first. Put those on your plate first. Then the last thing you put on is the meat. One thing that you can put on the grill instead of the um, burgers or hot dogs, or still put your hot dogs and burgers on the grill, but eat a little less on that, are fish. Salmon grows very, very nicely. And so you can add some of that as protein. You can also put chicken on it. And they also grow very, very nicely. You can find some very nice sauce that is not very too high in sodium, marinated, and then put it on the grill, and it'll be very nice. On the side dish, one thing that people can do is instead of having potato salad and macaroni salad, they can have a fruit salad instead. So that's one idea. Another thing is that while the grill is on anyway, so you can slice some zucchini or other vegetables or peppers, different kind of sweet peppers, and just throw it on the grill, and it will grow very nicely as well. And also some fruit actually grow very well. And for example, peaches. Um, just cut it in half, scoop the pit out, and then turn it the flat side on the grill, and just you know, grow until it's a little toasted, and then it actually it'll be very nice. And other, you know, try experiment with other fruits as well. Maybe apples might grow very well. Maybe pears will grow very well, and just give it a try. So I wanted to talk about dessert because I think the one cool thing about Fourth of July is like it's red, white, and blue. So that leads to like blueberries and strawberries, which are probably pretty healthy. Yeah. So are there are there ways to kind of incorporate those into a dessert that's not like a buttery, sugary pie. Fruit salad can be a um, good dessert as well. And other things that is possible is berries. This, this is a season for berries, so it can be a dessert. And you can add a little bit of maybe yogurt with it, and then that will make a nice dessert. And another thing is that if you want something really, really sweet, what you can do is that make the fruit the centerpiece of the dessert. Scoop yourself some berries, scoop yourself some fruit first, then put a small amount, a very small scoop of ice cream on it. And Funk says if you do decide to put some ice cream on your fruit, choose a small spoon or scoop so you don't end up with a huge portion of ice cream. And one other tip from Fung, take advantage of fresh herbs and seasonings beyond salt. For example, using basil, cilantro, or oregano to enhance the flavors of your protein or vegetables. So those are all good tips to eat healthier, but also kind of a fun experiment to kind of expand your palates, maybe try some new foods, kind of look at Fourth of July as a good opportunity for experimentation. Excellent. Grab some herbs out in the garden, get a little time outside as well, add a bonus. Well, that's the thing Teresa said is that, you know, the summer is the time where you get fresh herbs. We don't get that in the winter, so kind of 
take advantage when you have that opportunity. That's all for this week's episode. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Montemiro. You can listen to this podcast anytime on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It really does help. 